Welcome to episode three of Eleven. When we last left off, the whole tribe was fully participating in the getting ready for Big Mama to come home montage. So let's begin. Later that day, we're back at the Heartland Assistant Living Center, where Gwen is helping an old white guy into a pool. We find Ethan hiding behind a large indoor plant. Help you find someone? Ethan startled, whips around, and finds an orderly standing there. Uh, no. No, I'm, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Ethan aborts his mission and leaves. We're outside the Heartland Hospice where the van's parked. Ethan climbs in and rests his head on the steering wheel. Suddenly, the passenger door flies open. Gwen jumps in. We need to get out of here. What? We need to get out of here right now! Ethan turns the key and peels out. Why? What's going on? He saw you. Who? My motherfucking husband, man! Gwen is freaking out. She looks frantically out the back window. Turn right at the light, right here. She buries her face into her hands, her head's down. Ethan's confused, but I, I didn't even talk to you. Gwen starts to cry hysterically into her hands. <laughs> Gwen, come on, come on. It's, you know, it's not like we... Wait, are you laughing? She is hard. So hard, there's no sound coming out. Ethan pulls over. Why are you laughing? Sorry, man. I just... I always wanted to do that. Do what? Pretend, you know? Be in a movie. The damsel in distress, you know? Be saved. Holy shit, Ethan says. And you did. I was. You saved me. Shit, man. I could be an actress. Please don't. Why not? You believe me? Damn, I was good. She felt alive. Now embarrassed. Now you're right. Too late for Gwen. She gets out, slams the door, leans down through the window. That was fun, though, you saving me. She walks off. Ethan reels, lost. He bows his head. His lips start to silently move. Is he praying? Suddenly, Gwen jumps back in. She sits, looking forward. I forgot we drove away. They sit in silence for a beat, and then she turns and looks at him. She grabs his face and kisses him hard. She holds it a while, then she pushes him away. Okay, man, I gotta get back to work now. I can't be fucking around all day. Let's go, come on. Ethan drives away, and as he does, he smiles and looks up. Later that day, we're back at the ER hospital, where Alan Sr. is leaning against the front desk, flirting with the no-nonsense black nurse we met earlier. Ethan squirms uncomfortably next to him. Then, Seymour comes out a side door, looking refreshed like a new man. He displays a tiny pill between two fingers. Lithium. Reunited, and it feels so good. Ah, the second it hit my tongue, I was back. What about your kidneys? Ethan asks. I got two. I run out? You got to. As they go to exit, they see a big white ass pressed to the window. Seconds later, Junior's hoisting Seymour off the ground in a huge bear hug. Did someone fly out of the cuckoo's nest? I heard about you and your new lady friend. Is she hot? She's hot, right? Seymour says nothing. Just a hint of a smile. We're in the van, traveling. 
Ethan drives. Alan Sr. shotgun. Seymour and Junior are way in the back. No one talks until... We need bread. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I wish I, uh... I wish I could help you out there, but, uh... Make a lift. Right here. Ethan does. Pulling into a bakery. There's a big sign. It reads, Fresh bread. Oh! Oh, bread, 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 bread. I got it. You mean, you mean bread. Minutes later, and the gang exits the bakery, holding several loaves of bread. They notice a crowd gathered down the block in the village square. They share a look, then start to mosey on down to check it out. And as they do, they pass the Broad Ripple Library. Ethan eyes a sign posted in front. It reads, closing due to budget cuts. Moments later, and we're in the village square, where Big Dave Daniels is in the middle of a campaign speech, a bullhorn in his hand. He's the class of 88, the same as Ethan and Gwen. Above him, a huge billboard looms. It reads, Big Dave for City Council. I'm pro-life. Through the bullhorn, we hear, I'm Big Dave, and I love life. Love it. Life. Pro. Me. So if you love life like me, then join me on this... We get an angle on our game now nestled in the crowd, blank-faced. What an asshole. He's actually a, a pretty good dude. Ethan feels the need to defend his former classmate to his father. So let me just say again, I'm Big Dave, and I'm pro-life. Ethan chuckles, then quietly quips to himself. Yeah, well, I'm pro-library. A black guy next to Ethan quickly turns his head. What'd you just say? Uh, Ethan, careful. I said, I'm, uh, I said, I'm pro-library. The black guy whispers to a white guy who's next to him, who leans in to Ethan, pro-library. Oh, shit. Oh, shit, that is good. The black guy takes out his phone and tweets the phrase. The white guy tells the guy next to him, who tells the guy next to him, passing it on. The phrase pro-library spreads throughout the crowd. We follow it, landing finally on Bobby. Her phone raised high over her head. She's recording the scene. Minutes later, the van door slides close. The gang drives away. And as they do, we hear the crowd begin to softly chant. We are pro-library. We are pro-library. We get a look at Bobby. We hear her voice for the first time. We are pro Library, we are pro. It's the voice of an activist being born. We're in the front yard. It's Saturday, early morning. A dumpster's being dropped at the curb, just a few feet away from what appears to be the most well-organized yard sale ever. Early bird customers already sifting through the merchandise. Audrey takes it all in, proud. This is a big step for her. She spots a customer considering a spatula. She darts over there, snatching it out of her hand. Yeah, that's not for sale. <laughs> we get an angle on an odd couple. They're sitting at a card table that's acting as the cash register. The girl, stunning. The guy, older, handsome, somehow familiar. Holy shit, it's Seymour with a haircut and shave. But who's the girl? Meet Naomi. She's ethereal. 
Think Meg Tilly from The Big Chill. Ethan approaches. Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Ethan. Naomi barely reacts. I'm, I'm Seymour's brother. She just stares at him. Seymour holds up his hand, showing off his medical bracelet, points to Naomi's matching bracelet. Oh, 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 oh cool. Cool, you're the, you're the someone that he, he met in the hospital. That's cool. Uh, so what do you think? I, I, I'm the one who cut his hair. You like it? Still nothing from Naomi. Uh, okay, well, um, welcome. <laughs> Ethan looks around and takes in the sale. The neighborhood really turned out. The place is buzzing. He moves inside. We're in the kitchen moments later. Ethan tastes the pot of soup stock that he left to simmer. He tosses in a few more ingredients, adds some seasoning. We're in the front yard of 4460. It's later that afternoon. There's just a few customers left, but lots of merchandise remains. A heavyset woman approaches Seymour's table with a lamp, a few albums, and an overcoat. She points to Audrey, who seems to have worked through her attachment issues. Oh, yeah, the lady over there said I could have all this for 20 bucks. She lays a $20 bill down on the card table. Seymour looks at it. It doesn't move. It's still. Too still. Seymour glances up at the trees. Birds fly out. He looks to the backyard. He notices the dogs running inside. And then, Seymour casually stands up and begins escorting Naomi inside. The eerie stillness has now grabbed the attention of all the yard sale patrons, and in a gorgeous overhead shot, we see them all look up to the sky in unison. And then, that's a tornado warning. Neighbors and customers dash to their cars and homes. The family starts to frantically pack everything up, but the sky is darkening rapidly, and there's just too much stuff left. Ethan eyes a tarp on a wood stack. He and Junior grab it and spread it out. Everyone starts throwing all the stuff in the middle. Then they grab the corners. They run to each other, creating a big sack. Junior heaves it over his shoulder and drags it to the dumpster. He shoves it in, swinging the dumpster door closed. Junior looks back to make sure no one's left behind. He spots Audrey. She's trying to pry open the dumpster door. Junior runs over. He hugs her from behind. She surrenders. They move inside. We're close on a well-worn basement stair. A familiar stampede of shoes all come rushing down. After a beat, one pair comes back up. Ethan moves through the hallway. Hey, Dad, are you upstairs? Pa! He continues moving through the quiet house. Dad, where are you? Pop! He hears faint music coming from the front porch. He moves to the front door and opens it. The music grows louder. He finds his father standing next to a spinning record, staring out into the yard. Ethan calls from the door. Hey, Dad, come on, will you get inside here, please? Alan Sr. points to the churning sky, now turning a strange color. Tut, tut. It looks like rain. Pa, come on. I need you. The only thing you need is to get your ass right over here. Ethan's frustrated, but he knows his dad. So he surrenders. He moves to him, and as he does, his father holds out his hand. 
Ethan reaches for it. His dad yanks him in tight. And then they begin to dance. The more it snows. Ethan instantly recognizes the poem from when he was a kid. The more it snows. Alan Sr. is trying to get his son to play along. The more it snows. Reluctantly, he does. Oh my god, tiddly pum. The more it goes. Jesus, tiddly pum. And nobody knows how cold my toes, how cold my toes. Ethan jumps to the end of the poem and stops dancing. Are growing. Dad, come on. We need to get downstairs right now. There is a tornado. Fuck tornadoes. Fuck strokes and fuck fear. They get old too. The music ends. The record still spins. You wanted to come home a hero, right? Ethan thinks and then realizes... Maybe for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably right. How you know you didn't? You're fun, Bobby. That's enough. And as your, your mother used to say, enough is enough. And I'm, I'm not crying because of her or you or, or me. That Winnie the Pooh shit gets me every time. <laughs> Ethan reels, dazed. And then Alan Sr. looks up. Hey! Whoa, whoa, Dad, come on, man. You gotta take it easy. That was very heavy, what you just said. And I'm... Hey! Hey! Ethan's confused. Then he realizes his dad is yelling at someone behind him. Ethan takes off. We're in the street in front of the house. Holy shit. Here it comes. The wind begins to ramp up. It starts to rain hard. We start to hear an incredibly loud noise. It really does sound like a train is coming down the street. And in the middle of the street, we find Bobby, frozen, transfixed, her phone held high above her head, aimed down the street on her phone we see the tornado. It's rapidly approaching. It's terrifying. It's getting closer and louder. We get an angle on Ethan. He's hauling ass, but he's not gonna make it in time. We go back to Bobby, still frozen. It's getting closer. It's getting louder. And then suddenly, something wipes through the frame in a blur, taking Bobby with it. We see it's Junior. He's dashing right at us with Bobby in his arms. They find Ethan and they all scramble back into the house. Ethan battles the wind as he muscles the door closed behind them. We're in the living room. It's the next day, dawn. Everyone's still asleep. The clock ticks, birds chirp. We start to move through the house as the sun begins to streak in. We notice all the clutter has been removed, revealing a kick-ass old house. We land in the kitchen on a fresh pot of coffee being made. We find a pensive Ethan sitting on the counter next to it. 
few minutes later, Ethan walks out the front porch door, a cup of coffee in his hand. He looks out into the yard. Trees down. Debris everywhere. Miraculously, the homes were spared. In the middle of the yard, Ethan spots Naomi, Seymour's new girlfriend, doing sun salutations. Behind her, he notices a truck retrieving the dumpster, pulling it onto its flatbed. Ethan darts to stop it. But then he stops. He stands there a beat. He looks back to the house, then back at the dumpster. And then he takes a sip of his coffee as he watches the truck drive away. Moments later, we find Alan Sr. sitting alone at the kitchen table, drinking coffee. One by one, each family member arrives in silence. Some grab coffee, others sit in chairs, on the counter, even the floor. Ethan's the last to join them. It's a curtain call of sorts. But wait, someone's missing. And then the bathroom door opens, revealing an awful-looking Brian and an incredible new handicapped accessible bathroom. Tiled floor to ceiling, the grout still drying. Everyone takes it in, awed, but still silent. After a long beat, Seymour goes over and tastes the soup that's accidentally been left simmering overnight. Evidently, from his reaction, it's sublime. He fills a bowl. Brian stumbles over next, and then one by one, each fills a bowl of soup. Loaves of bread get passed around. Everyone eats in silence. And then, from out front, we hear, Attention, Kmart shoppers! We have a special delivery! Everyone darts out of the room, except Ethan. He just sits there. He looks around the room. He sees the sunlight hitting the scratched-up old hardwood floor. He sees the loaves of bread, the bowls of soup, steaming coffee. His head drops. He begins to sob. His lips begin to move. Is he praying again? And then... He pulls out his phone and looks at it. It's a 310 area code. He pulls it together and answers. Hello? Ethan? Uh, yeah. Max Myers from Abrams here. Uh, do you have a second? I, I have some good news. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead, Max. In the street, in front of the house, we find Clarence and Bert's ambulance parked. Bert jumps out and hops up on the back bumper. Ladies and gentlemen, my partner and I, well, we have the supreme honor of announcing. Back to the kitchen where we find Ethan, the phone still pressed to his ear. He's considering. And then, nah, nah, Max, uh, that's okay. Enough is enough. Back out front, the ambulance doors swing open, revealing Big Mama sitting up on a gurney. Clarence right next to her, holding her hand. He announces, 
Your mama's home. They start to unload her. As soon as the gurney hits the ground, the family surrounds it. Big Mama starts to look around at each one of them, landing finally on Ethan, who just arrived, joining them. Maybe it was a stroke of genius, calling all her chicks home to roost. Just then, Big Mama looks right at us, her smile no longer crooked. We start to hear typing. We're close on Seymour's typewriter. The keys striking the paper, leaving the impressions behind. We push in closer. The impressions start to become readable. I always wondered why chicks can't fly. We push in closer as the keys continue to pound out the following. Now, completely readable text. Well, maybe these chicks will. You dig? We snap to black. Fade in. Back where we started. Close on that scratched up old hardwood floor. Suddenly, we snap out wide. Where we see nothing but a sea of Ambersons darting right at us. Barking dogs following behind. They whip through the frame in a blur. And we follow them. Where we find... Big Mama. She's squirming in the Lazy Boy. Other family members now flying in the room from everywhere. Something is clearly wrong. The tribe now circling the Lazy Boy, trying to understand what their mother needs. Some begin to cry. Others begin to pray. It's tribal. It's chaotic. Almost the whole family now, pushing and pulling on Big Mama, trying to get her up and out of that Lazy Boy. We flash to the basement, where Thomas is masturbating, his concentration broken by the ruckus above. He shakes it off and continues shaking one off. We go back to the living room, panic now filling it. And then suddenly, Junior runs in. He squats down. He looks Big Mama square in the eyes. He's assessing. Wait, now he's sniffing. Then he nods, confirming his suspicion. Big Mama has a dirty diaper. And then he starts to... Everyone looks at Junior like W-T-F. And then he stands and starts to, Oh, it won't be long, cause I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. Junior starts to enthusiastically wave Ethan over. I'm gonna need your little brother to come over here and stand on the other side of this lazy boy right here. Ethan obeys, landing on the opposite side of the lazy boy. Big Mama's below them now. Junior plants his hand on Ethan's shoulder. Little brother, I'm gonna need someone Ethan quickly cutting him off to lean on. Yeah, I got that. I appreciate you, little brother. And then Junior bends down. One hand still on Ethan's shoulder. The other, he digs around Big Mama's lower back. He gathers himself. We cut to close on Junior's big black boots, bookending Big Mama's bare fat feet. And then it happens in slow motion. 
Big Mama's feet gently begin to lift off that scratched up old hardwood floor as they float up, up, and out of frame. Eleven is a lot, but there's something about eleven. How many players are on a football team? Eleven. What's an ace worth? Eleven. Oceans? Eleven. And then suddenly, we snap out wide as our team snaps into still slow motion action. Every team has positions. Eleanor and Audrey swoop in to change Big Mama's diaper. Weaknesses and strengths. We see Junior's face turning purple under the strain. What if a soccer team had no goalie? Or a football team, no kicker? The God Squad begins to circle around, praying like a tribal dance. A blackjack, no ace. Audrey and Eleanor are tugging on the diaper, but it's stuck. Twelve, and they'd kill each other. Ethan just stands there, looking up in the eye of the storm. Eight, just wouldn't be enough. And then suddenly, Tommy comes sliding in out of nowhere, with scissors in his hand. He cuts the diaper free. It falls to the ground. Eleven was perfect. The diaper lands, and we snap back to real time. Ethan looks down at his mom's bare butt, tilts his head, and then... Hey, uh, you guys, it was, uh, it was just a fart. We see Junior turning a strange color of purple as he says, No shit! Uh, yeah, there's, there's no shit. The whole tribe shuffles behind Big Mama for a look, and then everyone collectively confirms. Yeah, yeah, there's no shit. Ah, uh, yeah, there's no shit. I don't... Wow, I thought she shit. No, there's no shit there. I don't see a shit, no. Guys! Guys! I gotta put her down! And then suddenly, everyone's eyes widen in horror, and we hear... Wait! We're close on Big Mama. She's looking right at us over Junior's shoulder. The whole family behind her now. Born great? Nope. And none of us really ever achieved anything. But thrust upon, maybe, all of their looks suddenly drop in unison to that scratched up old hardwood floor as a steaming human turd lands with a heavy thump. We snap to black. That turns into a dark, starry night sky. We find Bobby. She's holding a paintbrush and a bucket of paint. As she descends a ladder, we move up. Spotlights just popping on, revealing the huge Big Day for City Council, He's Pro-Life billboard we saw earlier. However, Big Dave has been crossed out, and Fun Bobby has been written in next to it. The F and the E in life has been crossed out as well, and a B-R-A-R-Y has been written in next to it. It now reads, Fun Bobby for City Council. He's pro-library. How's that for thrust upon? Oh, and about that FBI file? Junior's right. Juicy stuff. That's the end. Over the credits, we begin a home movie made by Bobby from all the footage she recorded on her phone. It becomes clear that she sees things that we didn't. 
welcome back Your dreams were your ticket out Welcome back To that same old place that you laughed about Well, the names have all changed since you hung around But those dreams have remained and they've turned around Who'd have thought they'd be just 